I want to welcome you to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. Our services are held Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. It is our hope you will experience God through these teachings. Here's Pastor Alex. All right. Everybody hold on to your wallets. So I say hang on to your wallets. I'm teasing because most of us have had an experience in churches when it comes to the subject of money where we felt like somebody was trying to put us in a headlock over giving. And uh, we've all heard all sorts of manipulation. We've seen all kinds of bad stuff on TV. And so for many of us, we get the idea that when when it comes to the subject of finances, we need to literally do that. Hang on to your wallet because someone's out to squeeze something out of you. You don't really want to give. And that is the last thing on my agenda. That's the last thing on God's agenda. God wants us to know, first and foremost, how generous he is. He is an absolutely ridiculously generous being. And so we have to decide how we're gonna respond to him when it comes to finances. Go ahead and put it up there. Isaac, and uh, we have to respond in ways that match who he really is, not who some television preacher convinced us he was or some twisted childhood experience convinced us he was, but how his word describes him because that will be the basis for every response that we have. So we have to decide if God is generous and God is good, then what about money? Is it my friend or is it my foe? Is it my enemy? Is that out to get me and destroy me? Or am I out to manipulate it and use it for some kind of you know, crooked gain? Or is it simply a neutral tool in the hands of God that if rightly managed can become an absolute blessing? If poorly managed can become an absolute curse. We get to pick. But it all stems first from the character and the nature of God. He is an absolutely generous being. My, my experience with, uh, with money as a child was, was really warped. I, I grew up in a household where my three dads, one at age, up till age four, second one up till age 14, third one up till age 17, all except for the last three-year relationship, all those years demonstrated to me that money is just not available. It's not that it's bad, it's not that it's good, there isn't enough to go around. My fathers, by the way they behaved, suggested that there is just no money, so don't expect any. And I remember Christmases reflected that, my birthdays reflected that, our clothing, our homes, our possessions, our furniture, everything reflected this belief that there's just not much out there. People nowadays call that a scarcity mentality. And uh, I remember growing up in apartments, and uh, I think we never owned a home. We only rented. Not that renting is bad and owning is automatically good, but there was just no money out there until one year we had the Christmas of my dreams. For some reason, somehow, we came out of our bedrooms one Christmas morning. I was probably about eight years old, and the entire living room was packed with presents. I mean, there were not just railroad sets and, you know, Dolls galore for my sister, but there were bicycles for all five children, all on the same day, and, and we're all going, oh, wow, how did this happen? Of course, we were just in heaven. We loved every minute of it, and, and we just went crazy, opening everything up, and we were going, Mom, Dad, how did you do this? I didn't find out till about 
15, 20 years later, my dad got his first credit card. And he just, he just went ballistic. I mean, he just went nuts. Could never pay it back. Had to declare bankruptcy. So I was convinced at that moment that, hey, maybe there is money out there. So I got a little bit of a taste of, of the generosity of God. I got a little bit of a taste of a, wow, we could be rich someday. Maybe there's kind of all the things we dream about and want. But of course, the following Christmas was just like all the previous ones and the one after that and the one after that. And so I just kind of had this mentality that there's just not much available for you, Alex. Don't expect it. Don't expect it. Really lower your expectations. So I remember, I'm gonna figure out a way, thinking to myself, I'm gonna figure out a way to get money myself. And so I, I was playing in my backyard, it was probably about 10 or 11, and I was really into building roads and bridges in the dirt in my backyard, totally. I was, a, I was an architect, man. And I remember digging in the dirt one day, and I, I, I hit something really hard. And I remember digging deeper, and this, like this, this kind of disc sort of emerged. It was like this gigantic hockey puck. And it was solid iron. And I remember just dragging this thing out. I just, and I ran to my house, and I said, Dad, look what I found. Look at this. He goes, oh, Alex, that's worth money. That's money, man. Take that down to the scrapyard and see what they'll give you for it. So I remember by then I was riding a 10-speed. You know, it was a 10-speed with those, you know, the rack on the back that has a little clip, the kind of spring-loaded thing that does that. Somehow I managed to get this thing up onto there, pulled that, snapped it down, probably tied some rope so it wouldn't go sideways. Got on my bike, rode a mile and a half to the junkyard. Man, I'm going to get some money for this puppy. I remember dragging this thing in, you know. You know what scrapyards are like. They're pretty seedy, just kind of scary places. I was a little intimidated, but I'm dragging this thing up, and I hoist it onto the counter. Boom! And big old grin on my face. I'm thinking 100 bucks, easy. <laughs> hey, look what I found. He goes, oh, yeah, that's a counterweight for a... Really? Wow. What's it worth? <sighs> Nothing. But I'll give you a quarter since you rode down here and everything else. So he slides a quarter across the counter, put it in my pocket, and I'm riding home with tears in my eyes going, there just is no money. There isn't any. What's interesting is that that mentality stayed with me throughout my life into adulthood. By the time I became a Christian, it was perfect because it seemed to fit with this whole new Jesus thing I was doing. Because I'm thinking now, you know, I'm saved and, and I'm discovering Jesus didn't have a home. He, you know, he talked about foxes have their dens and the birds have their trees, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm going, I'm in. It's like, per I'm like the perfect Christian. It's this accidental discovery in my childhood actually fits perfectly. And you know, it's, uh, it's better to give than receive. I'm learning all these Bible stories and lessons and verses I'm memorizing and, and I'm thinking, wow, God doesn't like money either. It's actually kind of holy to not have much. I'm serious, I, I really believe that. And uh, in my little community that I was in, uh, some of my friends actually supported the same thinking and you know, money is the root of all evil, I learned that Paul said and something, man, I'm, I'm really spiritual now. In fact, I used to think of it as kind of a contest. I have a contest with myself every week. I'd get paid for whatever I was doing, usually janitor jobs, going to school, and uh, I, I would see how little I could live on and think, oh man, I could be a monk, man, at the rate I'm going. This is, this is really cool. So now I've got this kind of twisted view from childhood seemingly reinforced by God. 
That is a heavy, heavy locked-in mindset to change. I found out later, in fact, even more recently than I'd like to admit, that that's all wrong. God's word has so much to say about wealth and about prosperity, about his generosity, about his goodness, about how we can count on him, how money is not bad, it can actually be used for a blessing. And so there are literally, I came down with five particular reasons God likes us to increase in our wealth. He just loves it when we increase in wealth. So I wanna share those five things with you that I've discovered because it has absolutely revolutionized my life. It's been exciting. It's been fun. You know, money can be fun. A lot of people have said, there's a saying, I'm not sure how it goes, you know. There's uh, nothing ungodly about being poor. There's nothing godly about being rich, but I'll be rich any day over being poor, right? Because money can afford us a lot of things, but God is the author of that possibility. God is the one who wants us to experience increase. So let me, let me share a few of those things with you because uh, I, I think some of us may not have grown up in that condition like I did. Maybe you've actually been raised in the opposite. But a lot of times money just makes us feel kind of guilty whether we don't have enough or whether we have too much and we just need to understand what's the heart of God concerning finances. So let me just go through a couple, actually five, different verses. So I want to ask three questions when we do that. What does God think about wealth, increase in prosperity? Secondly, why would God want to increase our wealth? And thirdly, what does it take to remain in God's financial favor? Probably the most important question of all. But you'll never get to question three until you answer questions one and two. So let's take a look. What does God think about wealth, increase, and prosperity? Now, I've kind of made it a policy not to overload my sermons with Bible verses. The word of God is good, but you know, if you eat four T-bone steaks for dinner, that's not good. Same with too much Bible, people just sort of start dozing off, you can't really swallow that much at a time. But in this case, I'm making an exception because they're also good. So I'm just gonna fire off some really encouraging verses about, about God and his idea of wealth. First one comes from Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. The very first words out of God's mouth to human beings was more. I want more of you, I want more Blessing on you, I want you to have more yourself. I want there to just be increase, increase, increase. Now, of course, he's talking about children here. I want you people to propagate and have more people. But in Old Testament days, people equaled wealth. The richest kings were the ones who had the most slaves. The wealthiest families were the ones who had the most kids, especially sons, because they could work and produce and work the land and watch the flocks and everything else. But God has been passionate about increase from the very beginning of his word. I love that he invites us to participate in that increase as well. In Deuteronomy he says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Notice he didn't say, 
He gives you abilities so you can just suffer and sacrifice and give everything all the time away to other people. And it's all about them. It's never about you. No, it's for you first to increase in wealth. And so confirms his covenant, the agreement he made with you to care for you, to be your God, and for you to be his people. A confirmation, a sign that that's happening is increase in your wealth, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So in the beginning of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, to the end of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy, increase, increase, increase. Why does, what does God think about wealth, increase, and prosperity? He goes on in Deuteronomy to say, the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, that's kids, the young of your livestock, how about just stocks and bonds and mutual funds, <laughs> and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. In our day, it would be those things. It would be houses and wealth in other measures, but in the same way, it wasn't just children, it was possessions as well. That was God's heart for the people of God. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. Obviously not the uh, mantra for the U.S. government. How many of you have struggled with debt in your lifetime? That was the part of the story I, I forgot to tell. Because Pam and I were young and like many brand new couples with immediate families, there's a lot of money going out and not much coming in. But when you couple that with this poverty mentality, that really takes you down fast. I'm thinking God doesn't really want to bless us. In fact, I remember so many days sitting in church or listening to missionaries or, or hearing about ministries. We're just forking over cash. The building fund, man, we're just forking over cash all the time. We didn't have a, to, mm, we had nothing. I'm sorry, there was a saying I was going to say. That's not appropriate at all. Glad it never came out. But we had nothing, and yet we're we're feeling this pressure to give, 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 give because of this warped view of God. And so what happened? We just tumbled into debt. Emergencies, washing machine breaks down, goes right on the credit card. I mean, one thing after another, car breaks down, credit card, credit card, credit card. So we just went way, 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 way backwards. And the problem was our view of God was warped, coupled with the actual real legitimate needs that we had as a young family. So a lot of us need to understand, you know, we've, dug our own hole in many, many cases, and it's not God's fault. But it's certainly not his intent either that we stay there, amen? All right, so um, you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. The middle of the Bible, not just the beginning, first five books, but the middle of the Bible continues this theme in Proverbs chapter eight, verse 17. I love those who love me. This is wisdom speaking. Proverbs eight is the wisdom chapter. And those who seek me will find me, and with me, with wisdom, are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. That's crazy talk to a kid like me. I'm going, really? Oh, no, that's got to be spiritual wealth. That means leading people to Christ and, uh, you know, prayer and, uh, you know, again, giving to missionaries. That, that can't mean actual cash or currency or a fat wallet, but it does. God is not embarrassed about money. I love that discovery, what an exciting thing. 
And then in Matthew, in the end of the Bible, the whole New Testament is filled with scriptures like this, where Jesus is telling a story about the men who were given five investments, or three different investments, five, two, and one. And he concludes the story by saying, the man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. You know, there's a, there's a movement in our country against the so-called 1%. Have you heard that? There, there are a lot of people objecting to the fact that 1% of the population in the U.S. owns about 90% of the wealth. And they think that's unfair, it's inequitable, it's unjust, and so we're gonna fix that. That kind of sound, sounds right because it appeals to our sense of injustice and we, we have this desire for, quote, fairness, but you can take that so far to the point where you're not being fair or equitable whatsoever. People who don't lift a finger are supposed to get the same as the one who's worked their tail off for 50 years? That's not fair either. But that's what the movement is kind of, is kind of saying. That's what the whole, um, what was that sit-in called, Wall Street, a couple years ago? Yeah, Occupy Wall Street, right. That's what that whole movement was about. It's crazy. So if you're a Christian, be careful not to get caught up in these political agendas and the things that seem so popular and so right. And I mean, it's being talked about all over, this whole thing about equity among people, regardless of you know, how much you work or how much you deserve or earn. No, we all should just get the same amount because we're human. That's not the way God looks at it. Look what Jesus says to the one who put the five bags of gold to work and gained five more, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of, of much or many things. I like that phrase, put your money to work. Doesn't that sound kind of like American capitalism? It does, but it didn't start there. It started here. It started with the heart of God, with the intelligence and the integrity and the character that he provides. We are to increase our wealth. It's not sinful if it's done for his purpose, for his honor, and for his glory Amen. in his way. So I love that correction that I've been going through these last several years. Going, wow, it's not holier to be poor than it is to be wealthy. The second question I want to ask is why would God want to increase our wealth? Okay, we've established that he wants to, but why? What are the reasons? This is the five that I mentioned earlier. Five specific things that God says he wants to bring increase to every single one of us for these reasons. By the way, before I forget, if you're on fixed income, I'll be heading there pretty soon, Social Security, you know, and whatever savings we have, um, you may not have much control over what you can do with that. And maybe it's not even enough or barely enough to get by. Please understand, I'm not here to tell you you're, you're doing something wrong. You can only use what's been given to you, and some of us are kind of stuck at this time of life. So please understand this. God is still a generous God. He still wants you to enjoy what you've been given, and he still wants to somehow, some way, surprise you on occasion by bringing unexpected increase. So that's the kind of God he is, period, regardless of what your current condition might be. So why does God want to increase our wealth? Number one, to care for our own needs. I love Paul's directness in Thessalonians. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. 
If anyone's not willing to work, then he's not going to eat either. How blunt can you get? That is perfect. How many times have I wanted to say that with driving by people with cardboard signs on the corner? I know, that's a mixed bag. I know, you should be compassionate to those in need. I understand, but I can pretty much guarantee you not 100% of those people on street corners should be there. A lot of them could be working. But unfortunately, again, in our culture, the culture in America is kind of shifting to begin to say, oh, they can't help themselves. It's the environment. It's their parenting. It's, it's that 1% has put them there. You know, it's somebody else's fault. That's not biblical. This is biblical. If you can, lift a finger to provide food for yourself, clothing and shelter. Jesus says, do it. There's a whole generation of young people, some who are very industrious, but there's a whole generation of kind of poverty-raised, welfare-raised children who aren't getting this lesson at all. They're raised with just the opposite, that the government owes me money, the government is my nanny, the government is my savior. Maybe you're not struggling with this, but maybe you know somebody who is. Be a teacher, be an encourager. God wants to bless you, he wants to care for you, but he wants you to participate. That's your job. Second reason I think God wants to increase our wealth is to care for our own families, if you have a family. Paul says to Timothy, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a heavy sentence. You're worse than somebody who's going to hell. If you don't take care of your kids, your wife, your husband, whoever, your parents, if they move back in with you. That's, that's agenda number one. Not only your own needs, but those that God has called you to care for. So this was a tough one for me because as a, a young father and a young husband and a young Christian, with this passion to, to spread the gospel and be involved in ministry, I'll tell you, a passion for ministry and making money often do not go hand in hand. Have you noticed that? Have you ever tried that? It's, it's rare that people can be in ministry full-time and make a living at it, especially when you think God doesn't like you having money. So I had a real struggle with that, and, and one of the things that, that I think I missed growing up as a young man is, is uh, before I ever go into full-time ministry, I was 27 when we pioneered the church. Um, I probably should have tried to have a savings account first. Probably should have, you know, put a few bucks away and start a little college fund or something. Probably should have done a few things, maybe for another five years. I'm not doubting the call of God. We prayed, we fasted for three days, and it seemed like the Lord said, I don't care how ready you feel, I'm calling you, go now. And so we did, and uh, I've never regretted it. However, I wouldn't recommend that to somebody else. I would say to someone else, Get a savings account. Get a trade under your belt. Finish your schooling, whatever it is, because God wants you to have enough to provide for your family. Just because plastic is easy in America doesn't mean it's right. Amen? All right. Another reason. We're kind of you know, starting from the center, working our way out. Care for myself. Care for my family. God wants to increase my wealth to advance the ministry of the gospel. This is where most messages on money start and end. That's so incomplete. How can you give if you got nothing? Unless you're doing it on a credit card. I've heard of people who actually do a little MasterCard for an offering. What sense does that make? But they feel kind of spiritual or you know, maybe it's a guilt trip that got them into it or something else. But it's just wrong. 
when we have something to give, the elders, Paul says, who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Did I put the second verse in there? Yeah, for scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. The structure of ministry, both Old Testament and new, was created in such a way that it literally is a business transaction. It's identical to an entrepreneur opening a storefront, checking his costs, and his labor, and his rent, and his mortgage, and his utilities, and then pricing his, his goods and services to meet all of those needs, and then have enough left over to live on. In the same way, churches, ministry, the Old Testament, temple priests, all had to operate in a way that made sense financially. What it costed them to perform their services, and what they were receiving, there had to be more coming in than going out, or at least equal. So one thing that I want you to just hear me say without apology, if you're a member of a church, it takes money to run what we do for you to receive what you receive. And so very practically speaking, God is not embarrassed or apologizing for saying, hey, make sure those who minister well are at least getting treated as well as an ox who would be treading out grain. Somebody once said, if we gave to God the way, no, no, if God provided for us the way we give back to him, none of us would be here. <laughs> I mean, he is so generous. He's asked so little for us to give back to him. But it's also a business, it's a very practical transaction. God wants ministries, whether it's missions, whether it's churches, whether it's anything that's doing the work of God, he wants them to prosper, not to starve and grovel and write, please, you know, please, it's the end of a year, it's always hard this time of year. We shouldn't have to do that. Amen? Amen, Amen. enough said. All right, another reason for giving. We need to give to help the needy. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. Again, looking at American culture, there's this belief that if we just do enough as a government, if we tax enough people and get the right smart people in office, then we can eliminate poverty. That's not even biblical either. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. Because it's not really a financial problem, it's a spiritual problem. A lot of people in poverty, simply like I was, were raised to believe there is no God, there is no abundance, and there is no hope. It's a spiritual problem. So we are to expect to have the needy around us always. The more I can train to fish, Instead of giving them a fish, the better. We, we want more and more people to come out of poverty and into self-sufficiency. But we'll never get them all. So it's up to the church to take care of those who truly are in need. Widows and orphans, those who are in prison, those who don't have the mental or physical capacity to work and earn a living, that's our responsibility. But how, how can I possibly be a blessing to them if I'm going backwards personally. I could do that for a short term, but eventually I'm gonna go bankrupt too. That's not helping. So I, I really, this is really big for me. I, I really want you to refuse to ever be guilt-tripped into giving. I, I want you to refuse to ever be manipulated 
If you sense that's happening, just stop right there. And if you messed up, maybe it was God the whole time, well, you can always come back and give it later. But I really want to encourage you to understand your heavenly Father loves you. He wants to care well for you. On occasion, he will say, you know, I understand, you're kind of like the widow right now, and you really don't have two nickels to rub together, but I'm asking you to trust me in this and make a, a sacrifice. Take a step of genuine faith and give even when it seems like you don't have enough to give. But can I say that's not the rule, that's the exception. There will be times, yes, it's to give sacrificially, to trust him in this, and we've all done it, right? A check has come in the mail, I gave five bucks and I got 50 back, like wow. That was a miracle. I'm so glad I obeyed. So be open to the Holy Spirit. Give sacrificially from time to time. But that's not the rule. And and again, that's one of those things that so many spiritual leaders have just pounded down people's throats like every gift should be a sacrifice. Everybody's sacrificing except that guy. And that's not right. Okay? And finally, again, one of the big surprise verses in the Bible. I just think this is amazing. I, I didn't know... You could be a Christian and have this. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world to burn all of their money. Get rid of it. Give it away to all the poor people and be done. Stop being rich. Is that what he said? No. He says, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. God provided a beautiful sunrise this morning. Did he have to? No, he did that for our enjoyment. God provided a beautiful day in the yard for me. No busted knuckles yesterday. Did he have to? No, it was just for our enjoyment. The wealth that he brings into our lives is for our enjoyment. Now here's here's a key, and we'll talk about this more in the next few weeks. To enjoy things that God provides without turning it into an idol is very tricky. It's very difficult to do. I can start worshiping sunrises like I could start worshiping waves at the beach. So it's very important that I always keep in the forefront of my mind, thank you, Lord, for this paycheck. Thank you, Lord, for the sunrise. He loves when we enjoy his creation in him. But it's very easy to slide right out of that and start to enjoy creation or wealth or anything else for its own sake. God is not present and God's really not pleased because he sees the heart being turned. That's why he says you can't worship God and mammon, but you can worship God and enjoy mammon. Paul says it right here. Okay, so I just want you to know, it's not as easy as it sounds. You've all been there. Anybody ever been seduced by money away from God? Come on, raise your hand. Of course we have, yeah. It's easy, man. Get rich quick schemes. Oh, I'm gonna sign up for, oh, they say no, if I just, I can learn to flip houses with someone else's money. You heard that one? Oh, sure. But I love it. God says, it's for your enjoyment. He richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So here's the third question that I asked, and I I wanna close with this this morning, and then we'll receive an offering to him. Question number three. Third question was, what does it take to remain in God's financial favor? What does it take to remain in God's financial favor? Because you can be in it and under the blessing, or we can be out from under it. 
What does it take to remain there? And here's the answer. Go ahead, Isaac. The character to handle it. It requires mature Christians to receive the blessings of God. It requires maturity. It requires us to grow and challenge our flesh and challenge our preconceived ideas about money and about God and to challenge our own tendencies toward greed and our own tendencies toward fear and, uh, and control. And, and just to be honest about all those things are really there. Some of us tend to just be too lazy. We've got to confront that or that wealth will never occur. All of those character qualities are required. In fact, one of the reasons I believe Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven was because of the potential for trouble and the potential for blessing. Probably the most important issue in a human being's life under God. So I'm really looking forward to this time, and I really expect God to first and foremost increase us as individuals and as families. As we learn to walk under his guidance and under his word, I'm expecting increase and blessing and favor. I mean, I, I'll never forget one of the uh, first council meetings we ever had. One of our council members understood a whole lot of this. He was raised in a great family, had a great dad, great history. He said, Alex, have you got a retirement account? I said, what's that? You kidding? Uh-uh. I don't even have a savings account. We're living paycheck to paycheck. Well, the Lord told me to write you a check for $1,000 if you let me invest it in a mutual fund for your retirement. Really? Yeah, yeah. We've got it. God told me to do it. Is that okay with you? Uh, sure. I have no clue what that means or what to do with it, but if you take care of it, set me up, I'll sign the papers. It was one of the kindest and wisest things that ever happened to me. But one thing I did learn, save, 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 save. Just always put a little bit aside. I might actually be able to live without a paycheck by the time I'm 70. I am so thrilled. I might be able to retire. Actually, I, I'm going to keep ministering for the rest of my life as long as I can breathe. But I don't want to take up somebody else's money if I can hire somebody else to do the hard work. Gets a young, young guy to do this, you know? But I'm so thrilled to know that, that God has taught us to save, 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 a little bit all along the way. That's part of the character development that's occurring in me and perhaps can still occur in some of us. Um, like last year, I'm gonna use a couple of clips from the Dave Ramsey series uh, from his Financial Peace University, and I'll use different clips this year, so if you saw the series last year, uh, there's so many good ones and funny ones and powerful stories that Dave tells, coupled with some things from the Word every Sunday for the next four weeks, so it's gonna be a wonderful time. Here's what I like to do. We'll ask the ushers to come and we'll receive the offering, but first, I just wanna say one thing. If, if you get everything right surrounding finances, but you don't know how to get to heaven, all the perfect money management in the world will be meaningless to you. Jesus said, how does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So I just wanna make clear that if you're not born again, and if you want to be born again and get right with God, the richest people on earth are those who have a relationship with Jesus, because they got it all. 
If you've never made that decision, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. It's really important for you to understand that Jesus in your heart is first and foremost. Then everything else falls into place. Amen? Amen. Thank you. So, Father, we thank you for this chance to just talk about your generosity, your goodness, your kindness, your wisdom. Help us to be people, Father, who trust you, who stand firm against fear and courageously take steps of faith to do all the things surrounding your provision that we can possibly do and then sit back and watch you do the rest. We really want you to be our God in the area of our finances, Father. So show us where the line is, the things we have control over. Give us the grace to make healthy decisions, but the things that we have no control over, help us to rest in peace, refuse to fret and fear, but to trust you and watch you work. And now, Father, as we bring our offering to you, we thank you that you will continue to provide for us because we're trusting in you. If that's your prayer, say amen. 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 God bless you. See you next Sunday. Listening to God's teachings is always so exciting. We hope you have enjoyed this recording and that it has blessed you. Remember to share these messages with others you know and love. Until next time, may God bless and keep you. Here again is Pastor Kevin. You ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.